0: Welcome to Florida. That is the voice of New York Times bestselling author and award-winning environmental reporter Craig Pittman. My name is Chad Scott and this is Welcome to Florida and always a dangerous time of year for Florida's environment. The legislature is back in session and Craig's recent column in the Florida Phoenix, FloridaPhoenix.com, explores how the legislature has gone from merely telling lies and fraud to straight out theft. I I said that, you know, the start of the legislative session is the traditional time for
1: newspaper columnists in Florida for the ritual casting of aspersions, you know, (laughs) where they they talk about how they're liars and cheats and and uh, they're constantly doing things wrong. But I am a big admirer of the legislature because I think they're all criminal masterminds. You know, we we, everybody loves true crime books and movies and podcasts. But the real true crime is going on in Tallahassee, where they have successfully pulled off multi-million dollar heist. There was the voters said by an overwhelming margin, they voted for Amendment 1 in 2014 and said, we want you to put millions and millions of dollars into buying up and preserving state lands that's environmentally sensitive and adding into the state park system and state forests and so forth. And the legislature said, yeah, right, get lost and Mm -hmm, took the money and ran off with it and spent it on lots of other stuff that had nothing to do with the things that the voters had in mind. And last week, a judge said, Well, what are you going to do? They've already spent the money. No, we can't. There's nothing to argue about. Go ahead. And basically said they'd gotten away with it. It's just it's a it's sort of a mind boggling situation where the legislature on this issue and on others as well, where the voters have Mm -hmm. approved amendments to the Constitution because they're dissatisfied with how the legislature is doing things.
0: The legislature says. Well, too bad. We're in charge still and we're going to do what we want yeah, and they yeah. act with the Constitution. I moved to Florida in 2012. Voting for Amendment 1 was the first vote I cast in Florida as a citizen. And I didn't vote for anything else on the ballot because I wasn't uh, familiar with the issues and into the political scene the way I am now. But I went out of my way to stand in line and vote for Amendment 1. And essentially, Tallahassee ripped my ballot up and threw it back in my face. I didn't put this in
1: the column because I didn't think people would believe me that they'd think I was making it up. But some of the, I swear, some of the money from Amendment 1, the legislature used to buy camouflage caps for farmers. Yeah, there you I'm, go. I'm not making that up, people. That is that is an actual thing. And I I I left it out of the column because I was trying to kind of walk a fine line of sarcasm in there. And I thought this will tip it completely over. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's what they're spending on instead of spending it on buying up and preserving property and and the judge said well oh well what are you going to do so that they're criminal masterminds they got away with it now,
0: at least for now, now. FloridaPhoenix.com. You can read Craig's most recent article, and if you follow Craig on social media, and you should be at Craig Times on Twitter and Facebook, and I believe it's Craig Pittman seventy eight on Instagram. Right? That's correct. Yep. I saw you at the James Museum of Western and Wildlife Art in Saint Petersburg, one of my favorite spots in all of Florida, and you were there talking about cowboys in Florida recently. Yes, yes. That's a it's a beautiful museum. That was my first time to go,
1: and really? I had some time to look around Mm -hmm. at some of the exhibits before i before i was to talk and just an incredible diverse collection there of art about the west and art Mm -hmm. from artists from the west including native american artists yeah and um uh yeah i was there to talk about florida cowboys that florida cowboys are the original cowboys the vaqueros who Mm -hmm. were running the the rancheros around saint augustine in the 1500s they were the first cowboys on the north american continent and I, I wrote a story about that for Flamingo, and also there's a sort of a, a mini history of Florida cowboys in, in my m- new book, The State You're In, in the section about the Arcadia Rodeo
0: and using the rodeo as sort of a frame to talk about that. Yeah, the James Museum of Western and Wildlife Art. I've been there uh, half a dozen times now. I was introduced to my favorite painter. Earl Biss there who's a Native American painter they've got incredible sculpture uh, Native American painting western painting wildlife art some of the biggest figures this comes from the personal collection of Tom James who is the you know former CEO Uh, and chairman of the board at Raymond James, that's why it's in St. Pete, where that was all located. And we have exciting news on Welcome to Florida because the James Museum of Western and Wildlife Art is going to be sponsoring episodes throughout 2022, which coincide with new exhibitions debuting at the museum. And we will have one of those to tell you about next week. So I was glad that you were able to put your eyes on it, Craig. A a tremendous resource in the state and one of the very few, as you can well imagine, museums dedicated to Western art in the eastern United States. And before we get to this week's guest, I want to thank all the folks at Indian River County, uh, Vero Beach. I was able to make my first visit last week. Of course, we had a bonus episode in spring of 2021 about Indian River County and Vero Goes Zero and sea turtle nesting in the Indian River Lagoon Environmental Learning Center. But I was there for the better part of a week and did bird watching at Pelican Island National Wildlife Refuge, visited Highwaymen Art Specialists, which is the premier collection of Florida Highwaymen paintings. I met uh, Roy McClendon, 89 years young, an original Florida Highwaymen artist who is still painting uh, noon to four, just about every day in a little oh my uh, God. gallery studio I, that's open I to the like public. A,
1: I feel like a slacker in comparison. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> uh, well, thanks to the uh, Kimpton Hotel, uh, Vero Beach there. Uh, shout out to uh, Pizza Mia, which is a fantastic pizzeria there in Vero Beach. Uh, go back and listen to the bonus episode from Indian River County of, of spring of 2021. And again, thanks for a, a tremendous visit. Vero Beach, Sebastian Inlet, Felsmere, that's the Indian River County area. And I, I can't recommend it highly enough, which takes us to something Everyone in the state, no matter where they happen to live, can be proud of. And that's the Florida State Park system. That's right.
1: And uh, I should mention my my parents were big fans of the state park system. I vividly remember from my childhood, we took two weeks. They got a pop up camper that they borrowed from somewhere and we went around and toured the state parks and the panhandle. And so we went to Mariana Caverns, which, by the way, when they turned the lights off in there, that gave me nightmares for like a week. Um uh, We went to the Suwannee River uh, where I fell in. So I count that as my Florida baptism. <laughs> you, you know, we went all over the place and it was it, it taught me that there are lots of really great things about Florida and especially and the Florida park system is one of them. And so I'm really looking forward to this discussion today.
0: Our guest is Eric Draper, former director of the Florida Park Service. Recently retired, Craig spoke with him uh, for a recent FloridaPhoenix.com article. I'll put that in the show notes, as well as the uh, private uh, Friends of the State Parks, which helps with funding and volunteering and, and maintenance as well. So here we go, Eric Draper. Eric, congratulations on, on reaching
1: retirement uh, as uh, Florida State Parks director. I have to ask you though. I have heard this story that you once got kicked out of a state park when you were <laughs> when you were young. <laughs> so let me start off by asking you about that.
2: Oh, well, that is a true story. I uh, <laughs> I, I canoed over uh, to uh, Caladesi from Honeymoon Island. Honeymoon was not a state park then. I thought I would just camp on the uh, the beach over there, at Caladesi. The, the rangers caught me and uh, were glad to. Uh, take my boat on the other side of the island and, uh, and me and, and send me a drift. Um, I learned how to fight the, uh, the outgoing tide and try and get back to honeymoon. island. took me all night.
1: Yeah. It so, was, so, 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 you becoming state parks director was a uh, a lengthy revenge plot. Yeah. Well. Yeah, <laughs> right.
2: my future wife and I also <laughs> attempted another kind of foolish move to uh, to swim that channel there. I guess it's called Hurricane Pass. I knew nothing of tides and channels at that time, and uh, we ended up uh, getting swept out into the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> we were picked up by a very large sailboat. Wow! spent the afternoon drinking martinis on the sailboat so you know there's sometimes there's a there's so, a good so end to adventure. it was a
1: happy ending yeah definitely yes you grew up in florida you grew up visiting state parks if not if not being allowed to camp there all the time mm-hmm. what led you to become state parks director and what what is it you think is valuable about our state parks
2: i'm a user of state parks in two major ways one is i'm a birder and i'm a i'm a bicyclist but but more than the case i I grew up not just in Florida. My father was in the military. In a working-class family, that's your recreation. That's your your vacation oftentimes is a state park. That's the affordable place to get into. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I, maybe 10 years ago, I was at Ball Point State Park, which is really one of the underappreciated treasures within the state park system near Tallahassee. And um, as as we were sitting there on the beach and just kind of enjoying ourselves, the so family hit, was there, and a, a father son, and clearly a working class family, reminded me of my youth. And the um, little boy was waiting in the surf, and he started yelling to his father. He said, "Dad, dad, a crab, a crab, a crab." The father came over, and initially he just did not want to, you know, really connect with the kid, but. But eventually he did. He saw this horseshoe crab. You could just see this bonding experience. And it's, it's that sort of thing, I think, of bringing families together, kind of sentimental to say it, that uh, really makes me appreciate the role that state parks play. I mean, there's much more than that, but that's, that's probably my fondest memory. of. I got offered the job of being state parks director when I was actually pushing other people, other names, to uh, then uh, Noah, Noah Valenstein. And I was surprised when someone said, well, why don't you do it? And um, I thought, well, this would be the job of the lifetime. And uh, I get to go around and visit state parks. I get to see beautiful things. Uh, I get to swim. I get to bicycle. And uh, who could turn down an opportunity like that?
0: Sure. And, and get paid for it.
2: <laughs> and, and get paid for it. That's true. I missed that part. <laughs> and I'm guessing,
0: I'm guessing you did a lot more paperwork than that list of uh, enjoyable activities you just mentioned to us.
2: Well, it is funny, Chad, that what I thought was going to be that, you know, turned into uh, worrying about 4,000 buildings and hmm. and sidewalks and roads and bridges and dealing with hurricane damage. I came in right after uh, Irma had come through the state, and, uh, and within a year we have Michael. That became the job, is worrying about that, and then also just worrying, how do you, how do you, get, the, how do you get the people to work for the park service? It's not the best paid profession in the world. And uh, how do you train them and keep them? And if you think about the future of Florida State Parks, it really is very much about the people who work there,
1: volunteers.
0: How uh, do
2: you recruit volunteers? So yeah, it was a little more than paperwork.
0: Yeah,
1: how, how many state parks are there?
2: There are officially 176 now. I think uh, Rish is just getting added. Uh, it's a it's a park for for persons with disabilities, and it's just getting added to the system right now. So I think that's going to be the 176th. Where and, is that uh, Rish is in near Port St. Joe. It's oh. uh, Cape San Blas. It's actually officially. Part of Saint Joe Peninsula State Park, but it has been leased for a long time to the Agency for Persons with Disabilities. And just this year, uh, we decided that we would uh, take it back from the from the agency and and start managing it as a state park. Is really going to be quite an opportunity to provide unique experiences to people.
0: The obvious question, and, and one I I was surprised you actually answered in Craig's recent. Uh, article for the Florida Phoenix about you and your retirement. And that is, what is your favorite state park? And you mentioned Fakahatchee Strand.
2: Fakahatchee really is one of my favorites, partly because of the experience of of being there. Um, It is a park where you can explore 90,000 acres of of really the best part of the Everglades in the state of Florida and wading uh, knee-deep in water it just meters away from alligators, and uh, you know, exploring. I won't say anything about orchids here. Uh, <laughs>
1: you can't. Really we're, we're we're orchid conversant here. <laughs> did, <laughs> well, you see, I, did you see the ghost orchid? Uh,
2: uh, yes, but I, uh-uh. I I know that. That we not want to say you that
1: for the
0: location. Right. <laughs> yeah. No satellite coordinates here. Right.
2: <laughs> we don't want people wandering around in fact actually looking for ghost orchids or any other things. But it really is an amazing, amazing orchid paradise uh, down there. And um, getting out there with the uh, park biologist Mike Owen was just really one of the one of the magical experiences of my my life. But that's not we all.
1: Should, I, we we should ahead. mention, by the way, Mike Owen is a character in... The Orchid Thief, the famous book, The Orchid Thief by Susan Orlean, which is about a guy going to steal a ghost orchid from Fack Hatchie Strand. So that's that's the the pop culture connection there.
2: <laughs> and for those who have not finished writing everything they're going to write, Craig, he is a character that's worth recording and even more stories. I, I challenge you to get out
1: there and walk
2: around with them in the and woods. He's,
1: he's got he's got thousands and thousands of notebooks, right, where he's recorded things in, in his handwriting. So it's not uh, digitized. Does. It's it's just there.
2: He does. He carries these little pocket notebooks around and everything is recorded when you're in the in the swamp with him. He's just he he's he, he's he's ADD person. He's just distracted. He says, There's a there's a flag orchid and there's another one and there's another one. And you just your head is twisting looking at all of <laughs> these uh things that otherwise you wouldn't notice because there really are very area hard to see plants mm-hmm. most most of them um, not in bloom i did want to say though i you know i i know that you're there's some attention paid to to the sarasota area and um i th- i think that oscar sure is a really special place as well as um uh, and if you have not been to Mayaka yet and particularly stayed in those uh cabins that were built by the civilian conservation corps that is also just kind of a magical experience and getting a chance to wake up in that park, which is uh, loaded with wildlife and, and wetlands and, and some big alligators. It's a very um, special place.
0: We talk about Oscar Shear State Park with the scrub jay and birding, and I'm Uh, Happy to hear you are a birder. I am myself and and I always tell this story about my greatest Florida birding experience and I've only lived in the state since 2012 so I don't go way back but it was I think the winter of 2013 when there was a snowy owl at Little Talbot Island State Park, Uh, I think the third or fourth record. In state, and uh, there's this giant white Harry Potter-looking owl right there <laughs> on the dune uh, at Little Talbot Island here uh, in the northeast corner of the state, uh, Amelia Island, uh, Fernandina Beach, and like uh, 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 an experience I remember to this day, just extraordinary.
2: That's great, Chad. What a great story! People lined up, I'm sure, to uh, to see that. Place. There were a lot.
0: Yeah, it was there for a couple of weeks actually. That was a some a winter that was unusually cold and there were snowy owls that were seen in atlanta and nashville and all over where they they weren't supposed to be because the the weather was so cold that year allowed them to to get further and further in their range so when that happens as 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 you guys are well aware the bird watching sites put those alerts out and and folks will literally come from hundreds of miles away to see those extraordinarily rare sightings as as Goes on at St. At, at Marks with the flamingo that they get there, and, and uh, <laughs> there's that that network of birders who put the call out, and then folks come from miles around to see him.
2: Pinky down at St. Marks. <laughs> I was just out there last week. We got 60 species. Really oh, great wow. place. But but you are in, I think, one of the uh, you're in bird paradise there. Yeah. In Northeast Florida, because not just the state parks, the other protected land in the area, and it is a highway for birds. You know, flying mm-hmm. through there. Uh, I am really proud of the job that uh, that the park manager there at Talbot has done, actually Amelia Island, and closing off some of the areas yeah. so that uh, the birds are able to nest there. And if you go down to Anastasia Island, I think they've had the largest... Uh, most successful nesting years uh, lately yeah just really kind of amazing and and it's kind of funny to see how they can see how the birds are adapting to the people being right on the beach yeah i was down there with the park manager and they had a roped off area and he said look at that he says there and people were walking up and down and somehow it demonstrated that people couldn't be cooperative with with beach nesting birds
0: very active volunteer program here with the the nesting to Uh, Not only record the numbers, but to interpret it for visitors to explain why you can't walk up on the dune in those locations. And we actually still have driving on the beach here in in, uh, Amelia Island State Park because it's in the part of Nassau County. Uh, that uh, allows for it, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, a great network right here all through that area for the the nesting bird species. And we'll get um, oh god, what's the red knots? The the uh, incredibly yeah. long migrating you know bird from South America that that stops Fort George Island there uh, in in Duval County, but through the uh, all of those state parks along the the Talbots. What's the what's the oldest state park, or how did the
1: state park system get? get started. You mentioned the Civilian Conservation Corps.
2: Yeah, there are about eight parks that were started by the Civilian Conservation Corps, and I'm not sure that I know which one is the exact oldest. It started back in about 18, I'm sorry, 1935. Myakka um, is one of them. Uh, Hillsborough River State Park. I think Goldhead Branch is
1: one. Probably Highlands Hammock, I would guess.
2: Highlands Hammock, yes. That's the one that I was just trying to think about, and that's where the uh, CCC Museum is. And that is a, uh, that's a really special place. I love love going down to Highland Scambeck. That's got scrub jays uh,
1: there. And big alligators. I I saw one (laughs) when I was there. (laughs) (laughs)
2: And and probably the the least best uh, campground in the state. I think that the park manager there would, Morgan would agree with me when I say that. So it's one of those that, definitely needs to be redeveloped at some point. That's just a great example of how state parks help to protect wildlife. You know, Craig, you and I talked a little bit about when you're doing your article about historic and cultural resources. And yeah. You go said back you, were to, you were
1: surprised. You to, were surprised to find out how many of them were protected by the park system.
2: Yes, yes. I mean, and part of that, that core story is, is the Conservation Corps really a a terrific story because that's also a story of diversity within the state that needs to be better told. One of my favorites from a historic point of view is right is Fort Clinch, right, right in your area, Chad. Mm -hmm. So that is a park where you just, that the staff there are so committed to trying to create that experience of what it was like for, for the, uh, for the post-Civil War soldiers living in the fort everything from, uh, you know, wearing those heavy suits to Mm -hmm. sometimes if you, if you're lucky, you're there at the point where they're actually making the food that they ate back then, which I, I would not recommend. (laughs) It seems to be everything made with flour, but a terrific park manager. I also like Fort Clunch because my daughter got married there. Oh, wow. Uh, Yep. Uh (laughs) on the Egan Creek overlook. Yeah. And she, uh, she said, dad, I, I want to get married on a marsh, and it was kind of surprised me that uh, she had that love of that particular part of Florida. She said, I want to get married in August, and I said, I don't Ooh. recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, uh, we pulled off a uh, little wedding in, in that park, so it was really one of the, the best park days we had. Yeah. And it was 95 degrees at 7 o'clock at night with Are there- that sun <laughs> coming over Eakin Creek.
1: Are there a lot of state park weddings? People, people think of that as a place to recreate. They don't necessarily think of it as a place to have ceremonies.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, there are a number of parks that uh, that offer weddings. And um, I'm thinking McLean uh, nearby here. And and now I'm, of course, I'm, I'm losing the name of the park, uh, Eden Gardens State Park. Uh, that's one of the primary reasons that people go there with these uh, big old houses and oak trees and uh, nice places to get married. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they, uh, they get permits to do them and sometimes not. But that's part of the park business. <laughs> yeah.
0: Looping back to Fort Clinch for just a minute. Anyone who wants to come to Fort Clinch on Amelia Island, there is an extraordinary experience to be had there if you get lucky, and that's the opportunity to see a nuclear submarine uh, from Kingsbury, from the Kings Bay Naval Base in Georgia, uh, because Amelia Island, of course, is right across St. Mary's River from Uh, Cumberland Island, Georgia, Uh, the Kings Bay Naval Base houses part of the nuclear submarine fleet for the Navy. And through the St. Mary's Channel there, every once in a while, you will see uh, one of the giant nuclear submarines with a Coast Guard escort going through there, Uh, an extraordinary sight. And the size of those submarines is staggering. So if if you're at uh, Fort Clinch and you see a giant black (laughs) ship half underwater out in the uh, river (laughs) with coast guards and the uh uh automatic rifles on the Uh, deck shooing the fishermen out of the way that's what you're looking at so so that's the state park to go to if you're a tom clancy (laughs) fan yeah (laughs) absolutely
2: it would be interesting to stand up on top of the fort with those old cannons (laughs) pointed out there at the (laughs) channel
0: well hopefully they wouldn't respond because i don't think uh, the fort (laughs) would hold up very well anymore
1: What was your strangest park experience in dealing with the state parks?
2: Probably the strangest thing that I experienced was going in full dress uniform to you know. As part of being the parks director, it took me a while to get used to it, but wearing these uniforms. And I went to the Florida Folk Festival to help to open it, open the festival, and it was it was the volunteer night, and there, almost everyone there is some kind of volunteer, and they um, they have contra dancing. And something I had not done before. And as I went to you know just kind of work the crowd and shake hands, I ended up getting pulled onto the contra dance floor. You know, so what is, is
1: contra dancing? What is that?
2: Contra dancing is kind of like a, I would have to call it a, some something between square dancing and line dancing. And <laughs> okay, <laughs> it is a folk art. Of okay. sorts, and people <laughs> love it. And the crowd there at at, at the Florida Folk Festival, it's Stephen Foster, are just uh, really kind of an amazing group of people. I mean, they've been doing it for a long time. It's one of the longest running folk festivals. I really highly recommend it. But I would have to say that my strange experience then was being in this uniform in the middle of a contra dancing experience, which I ended up enjoying like crazy. Uh, <laughs> but people took videos of it, and I'm sure they're <laughs> around somewhere and. Uh, I would have been threatened with them at some point. So,
1: so look for that embarrassing YouTube clip. We'll, we'll be digging for yeah. that one.
2: You know, the strangest experience, Craig, and, and I, w- I wanted to get this out there. I th- I think I almost even sent you a, a a clip of the the name of it. Is the is the park named Judah P. Benjamin Confederate Monument, uh, Gamble Plantation Historic State Park, which is probably I, has drove,
1: I drove past it today. It's it, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I was thinking about that in the context of Sarasota because that is the, probably the, the strangest experience was was walking into that state park where, where there's an office for the Daughters of the Confederacy <clears throat> and seeing uh, portraits of, of Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson and going back out there and looking at the sign at the entrance and just scratching my head and asking the question, which is now, why exactly is this a state park? It is, by the way, going back to the wedding question, probably a, a great place to have weddings and that's what it should be used for. One of the things that I tried to do, and and was one of my many things I was not successful in doing, was was ripping that sign down in front of the park so that you, Craig, and others would not have to drive by there on your way to to uh, Bradenton and and see that see that Confederate memorial sign there.
1: Well, I mean, do the do the people doing the interpretation there? Do they do they point out to people that hey, this side lost, and probably that's a good thing. <laughs> And that's why we have this monument to 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 people who rebel against the United States government.
2: I think that's quite what the script is that we we train them to. But uh, anyone who wants to see the story, can go onto the website and that's and, and see the way that we carefully tell the story. Hopefully, at some point, we'll change that park and and repurpose it for something good.
0: In Craig's article, you guys talked a lot about the challenges facing the park system, primarily climate change is what the specific focus was. But Eric, you mentioned deferred maintenance and that's a, a huge problem the national park systems have where you've got all of these sites and the, you know, bathrooms, parking lots, uh, handicap accessibility. Uh, roads, bridges, you name it, invasive plants and animals is something that, that Craig and I talk about regularly here on the podcast. So as wonderful as the needing employees, volunteers, that sort of thing, as, as wonderful as the parks are, as many as there are, the upkeep oversight maintenance is extraordinary. How do you rank the, the threats or, or challenges facing the, the park system that your successor now has to uh, keep his eye on?
2: As I mentioned to Craig, during our conversation, that is the greatest threat uh, to, to parks. The number one attraction of at Florida State Parks is the 100 miles of beaches. Uh, so that's, um, of Florida's 800 miles of beaches, 100 of them are in state parks and probably the best beaches. And certainly, as you mentioned, the best beaches for birds. In almost every park with beaches, there's a, a significant amount of erosion. Uh, if you go down to Little, little Talbot, which is mm-hmm. near where you are. And and unfortunately, this is, is partly a human-caused problem, but uh, we're losing the island. It's just washing away uh, at the southern end. Uh, so that is one of the, the most obvious ones, is, is is at least the state will look at something like sea level rise and acknowledge that and the, and just the need to put, put sand back on the beaches uh, for people to be able to use them. And, of course, that, that helps with the habitat also. But that's not the only issue with, uh, with climate. The storms that uh, virtually destroyed uh, Bahia Honda, St. Joe, Toria. Toria, a, a great location of low-growth forest and just a remarkable place. As I remember going there right after the storm, and there were just huge trees everywhere. No one would have ever imagined that a storm could have gone that far. Inland and done that much damage, so it's going to be the the significant weather events that are going to create a problem. I think the drought and flood issue is something that uh, we worry a lot about. I, I saw a story in the paper this morning about uh, flooding down in, in uh, uh, Palm Beach County and Martin County, and that was an issue that I dealt with. When I was at the parks um, with with neighbors claiming that that a essentially a, a wetland park was causing flooding in their neighborhood. It's not because they just shouldn't have developed and built houses and wetlands. But uh, as we get these significant storms, people are going to want to, the agencies are going to want to dump that water back onto the, back onto the parks. This is a problem down on Mayak also, which is either too much or too, too little water. You know, we talked about another threat, which is parks will burn. I mean, almost all the parks mm-hmm. are fire dependent, rely on, some amount of prescribed fire, even uh, down in Sarasota County, where at Oscar Shearer, I mean, they actually put the torch to those woods, which they have to do. It's completely surrounded by neighborhood. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they're able to do it. But wildfire is going to be a significant problem in Florida in the future. We think about that as something that happens in the West, but it will happen here again. Uh, we had one that escaped uh, down at uh, St. Sebastian River. Uh, last year, jumped across I-95. Fortunately, we had done a good job of managing the land on the other side and the fire burned itself out. That combination of drought, fires, storms, those were all climate-related issues and something that's going to require really careful management of the parks. And I'm going to go into the into the kind of the environmental weeds here a little bit and say that it, it's not just that issue uh, with climate, also comes the introduction of the pest organisms that can survive and make it further in your area. In fact, you mentioned Fort George was the first place that I ever saw the, uh, the disease that was killing red bays. And I think you've lost the entire uh, red bay canopy up there as we have throughout the state of Florida. And you can't disassociate that disease and that problem from climate, just the changes in the weather. I don't want to, I don't want to be a downer about that, but there are a lot of threats related to climate, um, and I think that Florida State Parks are the places that we ecologically just try to hold on to the best uh, examples of natural Florida because almost everything else is developed, even on other public lands. The land is not taken care of in a way to, to bring it back to the natural domain. So they have to be thinking about, Yale Wilson, the way that he would view it, they have to be the places from which we really preserve uh, that biological diversity so that it, so it's around for other other parts of Florida, when we start restoring other places.
1: You know, I talked about the sense of ownership that people feel towards the parks in their neighborhood, particularly epitomized by Honeymoon Island and the people in Dunedin, who (laughs) a thousand of them turned out to defend the park against a proposal to let RVs in there and said they were going to link arms and block the road. And I wonder if there's a way to use that sense of ownership to get people active and worried about dealing with climate change and dealing with the effect that it's going to have on their particular park that they love so much.
2: That is a great point, Craig. Um, I think that if if the story of what the actual threats are to parks was better told, and this is something that I wish that I had been able to do more of when I went to the park service, as you probably know, when I a longtime leader of Florida Audubon. I had the mic all the time there. It didn't feel like I had the mic at, at the park service to be able to tell these stories. But it is a great point that you make that if, in fact, the people who live around those parks and use them knew what the threats are, and they would kind of uh, link they'd arms. Rise up.
1: Yeah, they'd rise yeah. up. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's that's That certainly would be on my wish list. There is an advocacy organization for the where the parks, which is a Florida State Parks Foundation, have done a good job of raising money uh, to buy equipment. And then each park has its own citizen sport organization. Honeymoon Island is a great example. And yeah, it'd be great to see those uh, local organizations become advocates for the environmental and even the cultural resources of the parks. I want to make the point, you and I talked about this, it's not just erosion of environmental habitat. If you go over to Tomoka, uh, great cultural resources are are being lost there as, as literally the, the burial grounds from the plantations are being uh, swept away by the rising tides.
0: Well, to, to pick up on that cultural heritage piece of the puzzle, I believe it was Big Talbot Island this year, researchers from the University of North Florida found one of the best intact Timuquan Indian sites uh, ever discovered, and I was reading Smithsonian Magazine, named it one of the 99 greatest discoveries of 2021. And, and that was in uh, a state park, right, again, 15 miles from where I live. I'm a, I am help out with the Friends of the Talbot Islands group, one of those citizen advocacy kind of volunteer do-gooder organizations you talked about. And they periodically lead uh, groups on tours over there, but now they uh, really have a significant archaeological find. And this was just discovered last year. And, you know, who knows how many more of those there are around the other 175, 176 units in the in the system.
2: Yeah, that is really great to hear that. I, I was not aware, and, uh, and it makes me feel good that we're actually protecting those places. That's also, the idea of the state parks is to make sure that those cultural resources are are well protected. That's terrific. Yeah.
1: I think there's I think people in Florida, people outside Florida certainly, but even people in Florida don't understand how great the state park system is, and they aren't aware of the fact that it's won four national awards, one of which they won while you were the head of it. How did you guys win that award? Is it for diversity? Is it for the upkeep? Uh, what What are the factors that go into winning a national award?
2: When when we decided that we were going to try and win an unprecedented fourth uh, gold medal, no other state park system has won more than one, uh, we knew that we had to put together the best story that we could tell. And one of the things that we do well, and it's just not talked about, ironically, is uh, what we call interpretation. It's one of the Uh, responsibilities of the the park staff is to interpret those resources, kind of doing a a version of those uh, cultural story that uh, Chad was just talking about. We use that as kind of the leading uh, edge of presenting the services that we were offering the public. So it wasn't just the idea that you come and you enjoy the beaches, uh, but you actually you're learning about Florida's environment when you're when you're there. And that was that's just really a high principle and goal for all the people that work for the Florida Park Service. The rangers are there, not because they want to clean the bathrooms and, and keep <laughs> the campsites nice. I mean, they want to tell the story. We even have one ranger at uh, Wakola Springs who has made a, a CD. He's, he's the singing ranger. And I'm sure that he's not the only wow. one that has that experience. So that's one way that we won the gold medal. We talked about our incredible volunteers Yeah, the rest of the park service. I mean, the parks system itself sells itself. But we also talked at that time about our effort to increase diversity in the parks, because that was one of the things that the uh, people that make the awards were looking for um, our, our staff is not as diverse as the as the parks are as as our visitors are and and so I think one of the goals is to increase the diversity of visitors and the staff also I could have made that sound a little more interesting Craig but that's
1: uh, we we prefer honesty over color that's mm-hmm. that's fine so okay. so you didn't so you didn't just make a presentation that said hey we got mermaids on the staff mm-hmm. that wasn't <laughs> that <didn't... laughs> because Florida is the only state that employs mermaids as state as state employees As part of the state park system. So
2: I I would give you guys all the gold
1: medals just for that. (laughs) now in your travel, did you go to WikiWachi Springs? Did you meet any of the mermaids?
2: I went to WikiWachi. I met the mermaids. I bragged to people. It's like hey, I have mermaids working for me. That is one of the great treats. Uh, if, if you have not actually sat in a the theater and watched the mermaid show and seen the kind of delighted look on the faces, particularly the kids, people don't know there are also uh, older mermaids. They do, you know, training programs. If you're a 50-year-old person, I guess, uh, and you want to learn to be a mermaid, you can, you can actually sign up for the training program there. We can watch you spring. That's really one of the unique things that we've saved some of those roadside attractions and figured out how to make them into state parks.
1: Sure. Well, and we've talked to you and I talked about Lou the Hippo at uh at Home Assassin's yeah. splatter right? <laughs> who is a who is an official st- citizen of the state of Florida, so that so yeah. that Lou can stay in the state park. I'm trying to think there's there's falling waters up in the panhandle where there's a is it a 73 foot waterfall that yeah, Falls yeah. into a sinkhole, so you never see where the water lands. And uh, Devil's Mill Hopper outside Gainesville, which is well, tell people what Devil's Mill Hopper is. That's a that's a special place.
2: Well, it is a it is a very very deep uh, sinkhole or crevice in the ground, and uh has a, a rebuilt now after the storm uh, walkway. You can you can walk hundreds of feet down uh, into this uh, hole in the ground. Um, it's not just unfortunately- a hole.
1: There's like different. Ecosystems at different levels, right? Or something like that.
2: And you know, you have me on this one, Craig, because I did not get the privilege of going into oh, no.
1: that. Uh, oh no.
2: It was it was closed down at the time that I visited there as a result of damage from Irma, but I'm proud to say that they did rebuild the boardwalk, but never got back there. So you tell me <laughs> <laughs> you interpret the park for me. I didn't even know there were geological features there. Just thought it was a What I saw just a hole in
1: the ground. It's not just a hole in the ground. Let's leave it at that until people put this on your Florida bucket list. Put this on your Florida bucket list as a place to go.
0: Florida state parks are obviously government owned, government run. So that means they're funded by taxpayers. But as the funding goes, how who determines how much annual funding is spent on the parks? And then once that funding is is allocated at the state level, how is it parsed out?
2: The legislature appropriates all of the money about um, uh, of the base budget, which is about $100 million. Um, uh, about 70% of that comes from park fees, uh, from from camps, camping and,
0: and entrance so I, fees. I, I hate to interrupt you. You're telling me the state government only supports $30 million a year for the state parks. The rest comes from what you guys generate yourself?
2: Well, thank you for asking that question. The because <laughs> that, the cause that, that would be
0: astonishingly small.
2: <laughs> the regular operating budget is that. There's about another fifty million dollars that comes in through for facility improvements. That's been increased quite a bit over the last uh, couple of years. One of the things I'm proud of, and and the rest of it is just kind of the the kind of the budget switcheroos that. Um, if you want to see another article by Craig in Florida, Phoenix, he talked about <laughs> Amendment $1. <laughs> it's very interesting having been a leader of the Amendment 1 campaign and then being actually inside government and seeing how exactly those funds get sent. Conversation for another day, maybe. Yeah, I think the state should be spending more to support state parks. I thought I'm going to just kind of go directly at your question, mm-hmm. uh, Chad. I, I thought so, you know, the entire time I was there, I was very aggressive about asking for more money. The parks generate. Billions of dollars of, of economic value, no matter how you calculate it. They generate sales tax. They bring a lot of people to Florida. And I'm not quite sure why it, it is such a difficult pitch uh, to get a bigger budget to to improve the things that budget when we're talking about that 100 million dollars that that's kind of is is a constant number it, it is though on an annual basis the budget people they just don't want to make increases for agencies they don't realize that when you're running a state park and you have the same budget year after year, that the electricity costs go up, you know ultimately is yes. going to cost gas. Yeah. Boy, gas. for
0: for everyone talking about inflation, apparently they don't think that the state park system uh, has to deal with uh, inflation. Just, apparently, just people yeah. buying mansions and uh, gasoline for SUVs. That's right, and free toilet paper. You guys get free toilet paper, right? <laughs>
2: Uh, it, it is a, uh, we did, we did increase fees. I, I talked to Greg about this. Uh, that was a, a, a real slog, uh, maybe 12 different proposals finally got one to approve to increase fees on campgrounds and did it based upon the fact that costs were going up for, uh, running the, uh, the campgrounds, mostly utilities, but yeah, I mean, if we're going to deal with climate change, if we're going to deal with with all of the all of the threats to the parks, then we're going to. I mean, the state of Florida is going to have to invest more money, in parks. But it's not just parks; it's all of the. All the land management agencies, the forest, the game lands, uh, water management mm-hmm. district lands, all of those are suffering as federal lands are from, from lack of adequate
1: funding. How much is an, a starting salary for a park ranger?
2: It is right now $27,000, I'm glad to say, up from twenty-six where it was last year. We're hoping, we were before I left, that uh, that we were going to get even more money to come in from that as uh, as part of the minimum wage uh, exercises the legislature is doing to to raise employee salaries. Maybe this legislative session, they'll put enough money in there to to start giving people a living wage. Uh, A lot of parks have to get residences. Uh, Not everyone, certainly not a starting ranger. But I think everyone would agree that uh, $27,000 is not nearly enough to pay to attract the kind of people that we need uh, doing the basic work within the state parks
0: and because of that you talk you talk about the between the low salary the low budgeting the amount of deferred maintenance, the amount of park units, the the size they cover, that's why they, they rely so heavily on volunteers. My mom is a volunteer at, at Fort Clinch and uh, is out there with horseshoe crab studies and picking up trash all around the, the islands, uh, Talbot Islands and uh, Amelia Island. And, you know, there are thousands, I, I dare say, of state park volunteers across the, the state. But how many actual employees are there, folks who, who draw salary from the state parks?
2: There are just over a thousand uh, full-time employees. That's in it. Oh are... my
0: God! Oh, that's incredible. I Just a yes. hundred million dollars is laughable to support the state park system. If you would have asked me, I would have said three hundred on the low end, five hundred on on the high end, and a thousand employees for a 176 park units is. I mean, yeah. it's, it you, speaks you, for itself, guys, the inadequacy. You guys are,
1: are clearly being tasked with spinning straw into gold, and somehow you're doing it. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I want to add that there are part time employees, or what's hmm. called in the state OPS. It's one of the ways the legislature avoids creating more full time positions because that's become just something that they don't want to. They don't want to be known it's as a doing a Hispanic yeah. government. Yep. So there are these things called OBS positions, which are part time. They don't have regular benefits, and there's probably another 500 part time, uh, temporary positions at any given time That's um, still not a lot. The park no, it's not. No, it's no.
1: not
2: to get that worked on. And and there are some terrific people in those uh, in those temporary, and some people who love the job enough they 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 stay in it even in those OPS positions without benefits. And Craig, here you heard me say the thing that I don't like people to say, which is that people do it because they love the job. They do yeah. love the job, but they still deserve to be paid more.
1: What advice would you give your successor? What what would you tell, you know, whoever gets appointed next as parks director, what would you say? Well, the one thing you got to do is.
2: The thing that, that worried me when I got there and that I, I'm still worried about, and this is boring, but there was no plan. Uh, spent a lot of time rallying support around actually having a longer term plan. If you're taking care of something as special as the Florida Park Service, you can't really orient yourself to just reacting to every political request, every storm, every fire, every death, uh, because there are a lot of deaths, drownings in parks. So, so if you're driven by events and circumstances, then you're never actually going to advance the park service. You know, sport is changing a lot, and we have the opportunity with parks to kind of meet that future demand. We, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't know we were going to be overrun with electric bikes. We have to plan for the future. And I think that there's a real difficulty with the park service to to empower the leadership of the parks to actually make a plan and say, okay, this is you you get to plan where that park's going to go, what who it's going to serve in the future, how we're going to take care of the resources and we're going to make sure that we're going to back that up with money. So that kind of long-term thinking is missing. I would say it's missing on government generally. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly, uh, it certainly is something I, I worry about for my successor at Florida State Parks.
1: All right. Let, let me ask you one last thing, which is: All right, I'm new to Florida. I've never been to a state park. What are five Florida bucket list experiences you would recommend to a newcomer to Florida?
2: I mentioned one of them is Hatchie, which is go down, go down, and get your feet wet, get some get some mud on your get some mud between your toes <laughs> would be one. I would say get out there to a, a Lee Stone Park, which is uh, Catfish Creek, and see some scrub jays. They're just waiting. They they want to get out there and uh, and see you. I would get on a bicycle at Marjorie Carr Greenway and go on both the off road and and road trails. You can go virtually across the state of Florida on a bicycle there and get that experience. I have to say that um, they go into Silver Spring uh, on the glass bottom boat is. Just a remarkable experience. Uh, that spring is is a little cleaner, less weed choked than a lot of them. And then I would say swimming. So what's my favorite place to swim? Well, I'm not going to tell you my secret swimming hole. Uh, <laughs> don't want that overrun. If you went to one of the springs parks, Rainbow Springs would probably be a great example mm-hmm. of them, which is swim. Just get in the water because that's what makes Florida so special, swimming in a spring or you know, going to Honeymoon Island and just swimming in the Gulf of Mexico gives you gives you the real sense that you need to have in order to really value the state so that we can all protect it.
0: Eric Draper, recently retired director of the Florida Park Service. Thank you for the work you did in Tallahassee and for joining us today. We really enjoyed it. This is a great topic. Thank thanks yeah. for thanks for talking to us about it.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Uh, well, I'll ask you the same question, Craig. Newcomer to Florida. Uh, the Florida Park Service calls itself the real Florida. And I agree, you and I go on and on about how great it is. So give me your top five or five must-sees or five recommendations in the in the system. Okay, so uh,
1: so I'd definitely say Honeymoon Island, which is just a beautiful, beautiful coastal dune island. Uh, and it's also the most popular state park. Uh, is it? Okay. and mm-hmm. Yes, uh Yes, so many people go there. And it's interesting that its usage is limited. You, you're not allowed to camp there can't bring our rvs in it's strictly a daytime use Mm -hmm. park but oh my god just just the diversity there uh i would probably say devil's Mill Hopper outside gainesville go see it for yourself (laughs) go see if if for nothing else than because tom petty claimed that it was the makeout spot when he was in high school Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's got that historic significance to it i am very fond of uh, blackwater river up in the panhandle Okay. okay first it's the first place i ever went canoeing and i just love the the water there and the quality of of the experience of, of canoeing that river well i think you have to do the wildlife walk at at uh, Homosassa springs and go visit lou the hippo yeah. and uh uh you know and also they've got manatees they have panthers there if you want to see a florida panther that's the place to go i think uh all right so that's four pressure's on what's the last one I would say, let's see, what's a good one? Maybe uh, Bill Bags State Park down in the down in South Florida, uh, because in addition to being this beautiful uh, uh, coastal state park, it's also it, it was also a stop on the Underground Railroad. So it's got wow. that going wow. for it too. Yeah, slaves actually came; they didn't just go north; they came south mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. from Bill Bags they could catch boats going over to the Bahamas and freedom. So you've got you got a nice mix of cultural and ecological and aesthetic values there.
0: What, what would be some of your We We talked about the ones near where I live, and Little Talbot Island is is probably my favorite. Great beach, great shelling, great birding. But the one that I have on my bucket list, we've talked about this, and that's the buffalo at Payne's Prairie. Oh, uh, yeah. They're I outside see of too. Outside I, have, of been game, to, I have
1: been to Payne's Prairie. I have camped at Payne's Prairie, one of the darkest places I've ever been at night, <laughs> which was incredible. You could see, yeah. you know, you could yeah. see, it felt like you could see every star in the sky, but mm-hmm. we did not see the buffalo
0: they were off yeah. somewhere else yeah. and they were not there so, so i would do that yeah mm-hmm. definitely in addition you know, to panthers and manatees you've got hippo and buffalo which, which you don't expect <laughs> to find that's right and in silver springs there are monkeys yes so there's there another one and, <laughs> and mermaids so and mermaids. cryptozoology right. to uh african hippos <laughs> and uh native species the florida state park system man it's got it all that's why we love they, do. <laughs> they really do <laughs> welcome to florida
1: welcome to florida